Thank you, brother. Great job, as always. We appreciate your faithfulness. And everyone on the worship team, man, you, you blessed our hearts today, leading us into the presence of God through praise and worship. Man, it's always good to sing praise in the Lord, for again, He is worthy. He's the only one worthy. And so um, I was just sitting back there thinking, what makes worship powerful? What makes it real? What makes it special? Two things, I believe. First of all, worship should always be to an audience of one. Amen? It's, it's not about um, me trying to entertain you or you trying to entertain me. That's not what true worship is about. Worship is about us just praising the Lord for who he is and for what he's done. I love Max Licato. He said something years ago that uh, has always been a blessing to me. He says, worship is the thank you that can't be silenced. I love that. That's a great definition for worship. You know, when you're so overwhelmed with the goodness of God, you've got to tell him thank you. That's true worship. Um, now, worship with our lips should always impact worship with our lives. Can you say amen? <laughs> what we sing about in here, we're to live out when we go out these doors each and every day. That's, that's where worship makes sense. That's where worship makes a difference. But I'm thankful for worship with our lips in here. It's powerful. It's, it's, um, it's refreshing. You know, it's, it's such a blessing to me, and I'm so thankful for that. It's, it, but it should be all for an audience of one. It's all about him. Um, and, and let me tell you something. I'm thankful that we've got so many talented folks. I mean, you see this stage every Sunday full of some very talented people and playing and, and singing and praise God for that. I'm just thankful that the Lord has sent these folks our way. But how many of you know that's not a requirement for you to worship the Lord? That's why the, the psalmist said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Folks, I tell you, that's about all I can do, but I'm going to do it. I mean, just because I can't sing don't mean I won't sing. Believe me, just if you don't believe me, ask these people around me. Sometimes I feel sorry for them. You know, but the truth is I'm not singing for them. And you're not either. It's for an audience of one. We come together for to worship the Lord. So um, don't be concerned about any of that. Just pour your heart out to Jesus, man. Tell him how good he is. Tell him how much you thank him. That's what this worship time is all about, and that's what makes it powerful. That that's what makes it real, and uh, and and that's what we've experienced this morning. And it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter number four. We're going to be looking this morning at verses twenty-two through thirty-one. Real, really, we'll go on through thirty-two. And my plan is we're going to eventually, ultimately read all of these verses. But I just want to start with verse number twenty-seven. Okay. Ephesians 4, 27 is where we will begin because here Paul gives us some eye-opening truth and really some advice and a warning for the children of God. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to members of the church at Ephesus. And I want you to know this morning, the truth that was relevant for the members of the church at Ephesus, for the Christ followers, for the born-again believers there and then, that truth is still relevant for the born-again believers right here today at Mount Zion. So don't miss that. This truth is for us. And he's writing it to children of God, to the blood bought, to the born-again, to the brethren, is what he calls them, his brothers and sisters 
in Jesus, in the family of God. And he says something that absolutely amazes me. First of all, he says in verse number 27, watch, neither give place to the devil. Now that's some great advice, but it's also a warning for each and every one of us. I had a Sunday school teacher years ago, I'll never forget it, when I was just a little boy. She said, boys, I want to tell you something. She was teaching um, third through sixth grade boys. And she said, if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. And I've always remembered that. And I found that to be true in my life. And ultimately, that's what Paul is saying right here in Ephesians 4. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life as a believer. Okay? And so then look at verse number 30. This is some, another, uh, some great advice, but also a, a very serious warning. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed under the day of redemption. So evidently, it is possible for believers, because again, that's who he's writing to. It's possible for believers to give the devil a foothold in your life, and it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. If that was not possible, then Paul would have never wrote what he wrote right here in Ephesians 4. Now, if there's two things I certainly don't want to do as a believer, is number one, give the devil a foothold. Because again, if you give him, give him an inch, he'll take a mile. How many of you understand? Jesus said the devil is a thief. That he came to steal, to kill and to destroy. He wants to steal your joy, child of God. And he will steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. And he will steal your peace. He wants to kill your witness. He, he wants to destroy everything God is doing in you and through you. He wants to do that. That's his job. He knows his job and he does it well. So I don't want to give him a place in my life. I don't want to give him a foothold. I don't want to give him an inch so he can take a mile. I don't want that for me. And as your pastor, I don't want that for you. But also, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. It's only by and through the power and person of the Holy Spirit that I am able to be what God has saved me to be. It's only through the power of God the Holy Spirit that I am able to do what God has called me to do. I know God has called me to be a pastor. Let me tell you something. I can never ever please God and be the pastor he wants me to be and you need me to be apart from the work of God the Holy Spirit. So I don't want to grieve him in my life. To grieve the Holy Spirit means that we hinder him from doing what he wants to do in and through us. So I don't want to hinder him. I don't want to give the devil a place in my life to kill, steal, and to destroy. So how can we not do these things? <laughs> Because Paul says, don't read the Spirit. Don't give the devil a place. If we find out how we grieve the Spirit, or we find out how we can give the devil a foothold in our lives, then we can also learn how not to do it. Does that make sense to you? So really what we're going to do is some reverse engineering. How do we not give the, the devil a place? How do we not 
grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we find out by figuring out how we do that. So how do we do it? Well, it's the three-letter word. It's the dirtiest word in the English language. I know most of the time that you, you hear uh, dirty words as four-letter words, but uh, that's, that's really not the truth. The dirtiest word in the English language or any language is the word sin, and that's exactly what gives the devil a place in your life, gives him a foothold to kill, steal, and destroy. But listen, sin in the life of a believer is exactly how we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we walk in, when we live in unconfessed, unrepented of sin, then we grieve God the Holy Spirit. We hinder him from doing what he wants to do in and through us. We invite the devil to come and be a part of our life and we hinder God from doing what he wants to do in our life when we choose to walk in sin, to live in sin. And that's what the Bible tells us right here in the middle of this text. Look there in verse number 26. Look how Paul puts this. He says, be ye angry and sin not. Everybody say sin not. That is his command to the church at Ephesus and it's his command to us. Don't Live in sin. Sin not. Now evidently, if Paul says we are not to sin, that must mean as believers we can sin. Now I don't know if I need to stress this point this morning. But I will say this. I've been around people who thought they didn't have any problem with sin. I've been around people who thought they were perfect. You ever been around those folks? They'll bless your heart. And so what we need to understand is that every believer has the propensity or the ability to sin. I don't care if you're standing in the pulpit or you're sitting in the pew, every believer has the ability to sin. Now why is that? The, the, the truth is, we have two natures. Can you say amen? The Bible teaches that we were once born with a sinful nature when we were born in the flesh. It says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for all have sin. Now what that, Bible, what that verse is saying in Romans 5.12 is simply when Adam sinned in the garden, sin became a cancer that was passed down through the seed of man generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and me. So that everybody that's just been born into this world from uh, the, 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 the newest baby that's just been born in the last few moments somewhere on planet earth, that baby being born of the seed of man was born into sin. How many of you understand, you don't have to do one thing to be a sinner. You came here a sinner. And I came here a sinner. Now believe me, I struggled with that truth for a long time because I would look at um, little babies, and I would think, my goodness, how in the world can it be possible that that baby is born into sin? They look so sweet, and they look so innocent. But again, folks, when I became a father, it taught me a whole lot about the things of God, about the Word of God, about truth. Let me tell you what I figured out about my children. When my little babies were, were just little bitty things, 
And man, I held them in my arms. I thought they were absolutely perfect. I didn't think they could get any better than what they were. But I want to agree with what Dr. Tony Evans always said. He said he figured out when their, listen to me now, when their legs got longer, their angel wings got shorter. And he's right. Why? Because they were born into sin, just like I was. I didn't have to teach them how to lie. I didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. I didn't have to teach them how to take things that belong to them. They came here knowing how to do that. All children do. Why? Because we're all born with that sinful, fleshly nature. As a matter of fact, throughout the, Old, the New Testament, when you see the Bible referring to the flesh, what the Bible is referring to is that sinful nature that we all were given by our great Papa Adam. <laughs> Amen? by our one common ancestor who sinned in the garden and then that sin nature was passed down through the seed of Adam all the way down to you and to me. Now, for the believer though, guess what happened? When we trusted in Jesus as our personal savior, how many of you understand we were born again into the family of God and with the new birth came a new nature. Y'all must have missed it, so I'm gonna say it again. With the new birth came a new nature. We were given the Spirit of God. We were given the nature of God himself. But listen to me now. It's up to us to die to the old man, like it says in Romans chapter 6, to die to the flesh so that we might walk in the Spirit. When we choose not to walk in the Spirit, when we choose not to relinquish our will to God's will, when we choose to do our thing instead of doing what God wants, when we choose to not allow God to have complete control in our life, then folks, we have the propensity or the ability to sin day by day. Each and every one of us. And sin has some very, very big consequences. I heard a story one time about a farmer. This farmer um, loved to grow watermelons. I mean, he would grow thousands upon thousands of watermelons every year. And the little boys in the community got to stealing his watermelons. They would always pick out the biggest ones. And so he was losing 8, 10, 12 watermelons a year to these boys that were coming and stealing his crop. And he got tired of it. So he decided that he was going to put a sign on one of his watermelons. And so he wrote out a sign and he said, one of these watermelons are poisonous. And he thought, man, that'll work. If they don't know which one they're going to get, then that'll stop them from stealing my watermelons. Now, the truth is, none of the watermelons were poisoned. He just wanted them to believe one was poisoned, so he lied. The next morning, he came out to his watermelon patch, and on the sign that he had made, someone had crossed out the word one and put the word two. So not only did he lose eight or ten watermelons that year, but he lost the whole crop. You may tell you why? Sin has consequences. You say, oh, but Brother Israel, is anything wrong with the man protecting his crop? 
Is there anything wrong with him telling just one little white lie? Listen to me. Sin has consequences. Consequences that God don't want us to experience. See, a lot of people think God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, that he's sitting a million miles away somewhere in heaven and he's trying to keep us from having fun by telling us we can't do certain things that sometimes we want to do. We can't do the things that sometimes appeals to our flesh. God is not a cosmic killjoy, but God is the creator of the universe and a loving heavenly father who knows what's best for his children. He knows what's best for me and he knows what's best for you. And so he's given us instruction from his word to tell us how we are to live and how we're not supposed to live. When we choose to disobey God, then we sin. And when we sin, we must suffer the consequences. Let me give you just four or five of the consequences of sin this morning. I want to tell you what sin does, how it can, um, first of all, invite the devil into our lives so that he might steal, kill, and to destroy. But also some very practical things that, that will keep us from being what God wants us to be. Let, let's look at the effects of sin. I got five of them. First of all, sin stunts our growth. First Peter chapter number two and verse number two, the apostle Peter put it like this. He said, you know what? He said, you ought to desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow as newborn babes. How many of you understand, folks, listen to me, that we, once we were born again into the family of God, the Bible says that we were born as babes in Christ. Praise the Lord. We were born again into his family. But how many of you understand? But listen, a baby is so special, so sweet. So, and, and, and I love uh, being around little babies. As a matter of fact, Colby Cook this morning as I was walking into service, he was taking his son back to the nursery to change him. And that man, as I was walking by, I spoke to the little man. He just looked around and grinned at me with his little chubby cheeks, man, just as cute as he could be. And I thought, man, how special it is to have those newborn babies in our church. Can you say amen to that? What a blessing that is. I love, and that brought back memories of my own babies. You know, and I, I got back in my office and, and cried like a baby. I don't know what's wrong with me here lately, but things just seemed to get to me more than it used to get to me. But I remembered how mine was when they were just that little. And it was so special having those newborns. I would sit them in my lap and feed them a bottle and rock them in front of the TV. I remember doing that for Anna Kate and Gage and Ellie Grace. Man, how special that was. But how many of you know, being a baby's special, but a baby's, they're supposed to grow and learn. Now, I'm thankful I got to experience those times when my kids were little bitty things. But if Gage was 14 years old like he is now and I'm still having to rock him in front of the TV and feed him his bottle, that's not going to look right. And it certainly ain't going to be right, is it? Of course not. Babies are special and I'm thankful for babies, but babies need to grow. And Peter said, as believers, as these newborn babes, we grow by desiring the sincere milk of the word. 
The scripture puts it like this. We grow line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little. We grow from glory to glory as we get a hold of the truth of the word of God. That coupled with the power of the working of the, working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we take God's word and we hear it, we read it, but then we apply it to our lives by God's power. Guess what happens? We grow to become more and more and more and more like Jesus. And that's when this Christian walk, this Christian life becomes exciting, joyful, and fruitful as we grow in our faith. I love babies. I'm thankful for babies. But it's a blessing to see babies grow. I think one of the greatest problems in the church of today is that we got a lot of people who've been saved for years but they're not growing. And a lot of times the reason is sin stunts your growth and it stunts my growth. It keeps us from being what God wants us to be, from growing to be what God has saved us to be. Sin not only stunts our growth, but sin slows us down. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one, the apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, let us run with run our race with patience. And we're to lay aside every weight, the sin that doeth so easily beset us. Look what he says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So what's he saying? This Christian walk is just like running a race. And how many of you know, if we're going to be in a race, we're going to run to win. We don't run just to be a part. Matter of fact, I hate participation trophies. We don't run just to be a part. We run to win. I don't know about you, but I don't care what I'm doing. If I'm playing tiddlywinks or checkers or hopscotch, I want to win. I'm a very competitive person. But now let, let me say something. The most important thing we can be is for us to be what God has saved us, called us, and empowered us to be. And so Paul says, don't run just to be a part of the race, but run the race to win. And if you're going to be effective in the race, you've got to lay aside the weight and the sin that besets you. Sin slows you down. I found that to be true in my life. It slows you down and keeps you from being all you can be for the Lord, from running the race that he's pleased with. Not only does sin stunt your growth and sin slows you down, let me give you another one. Sin sickens God himself. It really does. Revelation chapter number three, verses 15 and 16, when John is writing the letters to the churches, he writes to Laodicea and he says that they are lukewarm. They're not hot and they're not cold. They're just somewhere in the middle. And he says, because you are lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth. So really what God is saying to his church is because you are lukewarm, you're not on fire for me and you've not turned your back on me, you're somewhere in the middle, and that makes me sick. Let me give you some causes of lukewarmness. Dr. David Jeremiah says that lukewarmness is caused by ignorance of the word of God and apathy toward the work of God. Ignorance means you don't care what God says 
and what God wants. Apathy means you don't do what God says or what God wants. Amen? And the Bible says that makes God sick. Let me ask you something, dads and moms. Wouldn't that make you sick? I mean, after all, if you had given your son as the payment for sin, for the sin of all mankind, and then those that your son had saved by the giving of his life became apathetic, living in sin, serving themselves instead of serving Jesus, wouldn't that make you sick to your stomach? Sin makes God sick. Let me tell you something else sin does. Sin stops ministry. We are saved to serve, but when you had rather serve the needs of the flesh than serve the Lord by walking in the Spirit, it stops the ministry God has called you to and God has called me to. How many of you know that sin saturates everything in your life? It really does. See, what a lot of people think is they can compartmentalize their life and they can have this little area that's, that's theirs that they can have for themselves, that they can enjoy and feels good to the flesh. But everything else I'm going to give, for God, give to God. Let me tell you something. Uh, Vance Havner once said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. We can't. Live in sin and not expect that sin to saturate every other area of our ministry, of our family life, because it will. And the reason being, people are looking at you. Daddies, do you know your children are watching you? Mamas, do you know they're watching you? Do you know that God has given you influence not only at home, but hey, maybe at your workplace, people are watching you there that you never even thought were watching or cared to watch, but they are, especially if you claim the name of Jesus. And when sin saturates your life, not only does it hinder your walk with the Lord, but it can certainly cause a stumbling block for someone else. God forbid that happens to us. It's happened to me many times. I'm so thankful for the mercy and grace of God, but listen, folks, I don't want it to happen. I realize the importance. I realize what's at stake. None of us are perfect, but we ought to perfectly purpose every day to live in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord. Sin saturates everything. So I've given you the problem, but a pitiful message is giving you the problem without giving you the solution. So let's look back at Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll give you three things really quickly. Three ways that we can kick the devil out of our life completely, and three ways that we will not grieve the Holy Spirit. Number one, it takes repentance. Look with me there in Ephesians chapter number 4, starting in verse number 22. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man. Everybody say, put off. Read again there with me in verse number five. Wherefore, putting away. Somebody say, putting away. 
He says, put off and put away those old sinful attitudes and actions. Put it off, put it away. What he's talking about is repent of those things. To repent means that I'm walking one way and I realize the way I'm walking is not where I, the way I need to go or the way that pleases the Lord. And then I turn from going that way in 180 degrees and I go the other way back to the feet of Jesus. That's repentance. Repentance goes much deeper than confession. With confession, I confess with my mouth. Repentance is about a change in my life. Amen? Casting Crown sings a song about um, being about the altar and the door. And in the course of that song, it talks about how our eyes can be wet in the altar and they're dry before we reach the door. Now what they're saying in that, and I love it, they say it so powerfully, is that we sometimes come and confess in the altar, but by the time we reach the door, we're ready to go back and live like we've always lived. That's not repentance. Repentance is a turning around. And so that's what the Bible here in Ephesians chapter 4 is telling us. If we're going to not give place to the devil and not grieve the Holy Spirit, there must be repentance in our life. You say, well, Brother Israel, I thought I repented when I got saved. Yes, you did repent when you got saved. So did I. But let me tell you something. I've repented a whole lot more after I've got saved than when I got saved. When you repented at the moment of salvation, you were positionally sanctified. You were put in Jesus, and Jesus was put in you. Somebody say amen to that. But now listen to me, folks. Every day, we need practical sanctification. Amen? A practical, everyday cleaning up from walking around in a dirty world. Having to deal with the temptations of the flesh. Having to deal with Satan and the world itself coming against us. So, day by day, we are to repent. Come back to the Lord. What do we repent of? Well, the Bible gives us a good list here. In verse number 25, he says that you... Um, Put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, if you want to give place to the devil, a good way to do it is to live a life filled with lies. Let me tell you why. Jesus said in John 8, 44, that the devil is a liar and the father of it. If you want to make him feel right at home, live a life filled with lies. We are called to speak the truth in love. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we're going to be like Jesus, we must walk in the truth. You ever been around a habitual liar? They lie so much, they don't even really realize they're lying. They believe their own lies. And what happens many times with people like that, they forget the last lie they told. And so they'll tell another lie 
to cover up the last lie and they spin this web of deceit that gets everybody in trouble. Don't be that person. When you become that person, nobody knows when to trust you. Nobody knows if they can count on you. And it ruins relationships. And so the Bible says, if you don't want to give the devil a place in your life, put off lying. Walk in the truth. Brothers and sisters, live in the truth. So very important. Not only does he say put off lying, but look what else he says right here. In, uh, look, look down with me, please, at verse number, um, verse number 28. He says, let him that stole steal no more. He's, so really what Paul is saying, if you want to make the devil feel right at home in your life, then, then you need to be a thief. Because again, that's what Satan does. He's a thief. He came to steal, kill, and to destroy. So the Bible says if we're going to make the devil uncomfortable with being around us, then what we need to do is put off stealing. Let him that stole steal no more because we are now new in Christ Jesus. Now let me tell you something. Stealing is stealing regardless of the amount you steal. Someone that will steal a 15 cent piece of candy will later steal a $150,000 payroll. You may tell you why? Because sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Satan knows that. And he knows the more you sin, the easier it is for you to sin if you don't repent of it and get it out of your life. You ever wonder why these people, man, that steal these millions of dollars, how did that happen? How did this person that you never thought in your life would steal anything has embezzled 300,000 bucks? You ever, you ever thought that? I'll tell you why, because it started one penny at a time. And it became easier and easier and easier. So let me ask you something. Regardless of amount, regardless of the amount, has there been times when you've taken things that didn't belong to you? Let me confess to you just a minute here this morning. I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, right here in this church, I was, I'd come over, over on a weeknight. Sometimes I do that, and I was just studying for my message that upcoming Sunday, and I was walking around in the sanctuary. Usually what I'll do when I'm here by myself, I just preach all over this place. I just walk all over this place and I'll pray over these pews and I'll preach what God's put on my heart. And man, I just have some good times with Jesus, just me and him in here. It's amazing. So I'm walking up and down these aisles, man, preaching what I believe the Lord had put on my heart. And I got back to about, the, about where Brother Ben's sitting there, maybe a little bit behind, and I look down on the pew and there's a whole big bag of Jolly Ranchers. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. I really like Jolly Ranchers. Green apple Jolly Ranchers is what I really like. So I looked over the man, saw in that bag some green apple Jolly Ranchers. I just reached down, picked me up too, and slept, uh, throwed them in my mouth. Man, happy as I could be. And the Holy Spirit of God said, you just stole that. Can I ever do that to you? 
See, that's why I keep, I, I keep saying it's very hard for a Christian to fall into sin. We usually jump into it. We want to make it sound good and say we fall into sin, but nobody really falls into lying, do they? You know whether or not you're telling the truth. Nobody falls into adultery. You don't just fall into that. That happens as an act of will. You, you don't fall into fornication. You don't fall into drunkenness. We don't fall into sin. Usually we jump into it. We make a conscious decision to do what pleases the flesh instead of what pleases the spirit. Are you getting me? And that's what I did with that candy. You said, Roswell, it's just a piece of candy. Listen, stealing, stealing. And the Lord convicted me over that. So I went and replaced it threefold. I went that week and bought three bags of candy and laid it on that. I don't even know whose it was. But they had three bags of candy laying there when I got back that week. And I, I repented of the Lord and I tried to make it right with that person. You may tell you why? Because God convicted my heart over that. Amen? He said, put away lying, put away stealing. Look down at verse number, I like this one. He says in verse number 31, and let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So he said, if you want to kick the devil out of your life and don't give him a place to hinder you to steal, kill, and destroy, put away bitterness from yourself. How many of you have ever been done wrong? Anybody? All of us have been done wrong sometime in our life. You ever been done wrong by people you love the most? And people who you thought loved you the most? Sure we have. It happens. Let me tell you why. Because we live in an imperfect world. We live in a fallen creation. And I don't diminish that because that hurt is real. It is. And I'm not trying to justify anybody doing anybody wrong because you know what? If they've done you wrong, it's wrong. I'm with you. But let me tell you what happens. If you don't choose to forgive and put away bitterness, that root of bitterness will grow inside you and choke the life out of you. It will consume you to the point that's all you think about. And listen, you start looking at everybody and every other situation through the lens of the hurt that you felt toward that person that done you wrong. I know that because I've been there. Look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what he's saying? If Jesus can forgive us, if we're going to be like Jesus as Christ's followers, we've got to learn to forgive other people. We need to repent of the bitter spirit that we sometimes have. Make it right with God and our fellow man. Amen? Number one, we've got to repent if we're not going to give the devil a place, if we're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, we've got to renew ourselves. Look, look with me what it says there in Ephesians chapter 4. And look down at, at verse number 23. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. How are you renewed in the spirit of your mind? You're renewed in the spirit of your mind by taking hold of the truth of the word of God. Uh, look, look with me, if you will, please, quickly in the book of, of 
Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 8. He says, Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You renew your mind, you renew your mind by thinking on the things that are mentioned here. And the things that are mentioned here, guess where they're found? Pure things. Lovely things. Things are of a good report. Things that are just. Things that are honest. Where do you find those things? In the Word of God. Why is it important that you stay plugged into the, to the body of Christ and be in the preaching and teaching of the Word of God? Why is it important that you spend time daily in the Word of God? Why is it important that you listen to Christian radio and let God bless your heart through those songs that are find their foundation in the word of God. Why is all that so important? Because in all of that, it's renewing your mind. Amen? Repentance. Then we need some renewal. And lastly, listen to me. Listen to me, folks. I don't want you to miss this. Look down with me. Ephesians chapter 4. We need some resistance. It says, Be ye angry and sin not, verse 26, and let not the sin go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. If he says we shouldn't give place to the devil, that, that really means that we have a choice, don't we? We have the choice whether to give place to the devil or not give place to the devil. The devil is powerful, yes. He's more powerful than you, but my Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. James chapter 4 and verse number 7 says plainly that if we resist the devil, he must flee from us. There has to be some resistance. Let me tell you why we sometimes don't resist Satan. Because what he's tempting us to do appeases the flesh. There has to be repentance. There has to be renewal. There has to be some resistance if we're not going to give place to the devil and we're not going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Sin has consequence. Everybody stand together this morning. James chapter 4. I quoted to you verse 7 a minute ago, but let me, let me read to you verse 6. But he gives more grace. Everybody say more grace. Aren't you thankful for that? He gives more grace. Let me tell you why I'm thankful. I need more grace. I need God's grace today so that I can repent. I need God's grace today to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better witness, to be a better pastor, to be a better employee, to be better 
in all areas of my life. I need God's grace. And the good news is, He gives more grace. Who's He give it to? Wherefore He saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Not those who are prideful in their self, but those who come humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. You see where I failed you. You see where I've dropped the ball, where I've jumped into sin. Lord, I didn't fall into it. I jumped into it and I'm sorry. That's being humble. That's coming to the place where you realize your great need for Jesus. Not just for salvation, but day by day. Amen? Then he says this, watch. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. Watch this now. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Again, what I see there is repentance. Cleanse your hands and renewal. Purify your hearts. And then resistance. Verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. Folks, I'm telling you, it works. Don't give the devil a place in your life. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit this morning. Repent of anything you know is unpleasing unto the Lord so that God can use you like he wants to use you. If you need the Lord in any way, you come this morning. If you need to be saved today, hey, listen to me. God's still in the saving business. His grace is available for you. If you have been saved, but you just know there's certain things in your life you need to get right with the Lord. Man, don't we all? This altar is always open. You just want to come pray for lost loved ones, lost friends. You want to come pray for your family. Come pray for your church. Whatever's on your heart, whatever God the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, don't quench the Spirit this morning. Be submissive. Let's pray together. Or uh, let's sing together.